everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host Chris Kay. This week we have an awesome episode for you. We are taking a look at heavy metal supergroups. Collaborations in music have always been a thing, but in heavy metal, bands were usually very tight-knit and competitive with each other, especially back in the 80s. In recent times, however, due to the downturn of importance of the record company, musicians have been collaborating more and more with each other than they ever have before. And speaking of record companies, since many of them no longer offer big money contracts, lots of musicians have side projects or even have side projects from their side projects. Today, we're taking a look at supergroups that succeeded, some that didn't, and some that were just not so super. So, Chris, heavy metal supergroups, um, man, what it, they, they range from the early 80s to today. Most of today now, there's a lot of bands out there today that are, I mean, I don't know if you want to call them supergroups now, but there's just so many people that are just collaborating with each other. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, the the criteria to be a supergroup, I guess, technically would be something around you have a few members from several bands or just a couple that have come together for a different project, usually a side project, like you said. Um, but, you know, that's there's a lot of, yeah, you look at it today, there's a lot of artists that just have a, a lot of side projects. Like, they either like, just, like Mike Portnoy? <laughs> Mike Portnoy, Tim Ripper Owens, um, on the kind of the other end of the spectrum, just a guy that just needs to constantly stay busy for his mind is Mike Patton that we've talked about recently. Mike Patton has like 478 bands. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Ripper Owens gotta have more than that. Uh, He's gotta have at least 526. (laughs) He's been in a couple super groups. I don't think we're going to talk about any of them today, but uh, he's been in a couple little ones too, so... So what we're going to talk about today is more of a, mostly mainstream. There's a couple of ones that are a little bit outside the mainstream, if you want to talk about it like that. But essentially, some of these are, are most of these people you're going to know. Most of these acts you're going to know. Um, so why don't we go ahead and get started? We're going to go do the not-so-super groups that kind of failed almost out of the gate. And some of them actually had some success, but they got stunted or something in their lives happened to, to end the group or something happened tragically. So let's take a look at some of these bands. Uh, so the, what kind of sparked this thought in my mind for this episode was uh, a band called HSAS, which is Hagar, Sean, Aronson, and Shreve. Uh, They were a group formed in 1983, but only lasted to 1984, and that is, you could probably guess, Sammy Hagar, uh, who had previously been in Montrose and done some solo work up to this point, Neil Sean from Journey, and before that he was in Santana, Uh, Kenny Aronson, who was a bass uh, guitar player for Rick Derringer, and Michael Shreve, who played with Santana. Um, They only put out that one album, which was Through the Fire in 1984, Um, this honestly i remember finding this album back in the the record store days um i had i had gone to my local record store i was always looking for new stuff it was a different you know venue than what it is now where you can really look up anything and find it online Uh, a lot of times now you you the accessibility for digital downloads is just 
astronomical or streaming so compared to what it was back then so you couldn't find this on um itunes or anything like that so i actually found this on cd in a store and i was really excited because you see you know journey montrose or, or you know you know him from van halen at that point but like you see all these guys and it's like wow this is going to be awesome and honestly the album it's it's all right i think for the most part like it's it's bit of notoriety really just came from the names of these guys they they really only had one single and i believe it was a cover it's just it's an all right album it's just nothing like you would think it would be with the names that are attached to it yeah um i know exactly what you mean i remember when this album was was highly anticipated i remember when this album came out um and it really didn't go anywhere um i i, I believe because of the names uh, of Sammy Hagar and Neil Sean, there was an expectation that it was going to be this pretty much a hard rocker, even though Neil Sean was not necessarily hard rock. I mean, Journey is not hard rock. Journey is a rock band, but they're not a hard rock band. And No, but there's some crossover with the fan base. There, there is a little bit. And, and, and Sammy Hagar being a little bit more hard rock, basically, in comparison... Um, I think there was a lot of anticipation, and and for whatever reason, the the the, the music just didn't come across um, that great. I never caught on to it. Oddly enough, though, I bought that album like within the last year or so. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. from from uh, half price books for like five ninety nine or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have the vinyl. Um, which is which is weird, and and I just got it literally for the novelty of it because I know I, I started picking up some Sammy Hagar albums um, through Half Price Books. I I picked up VOA, I picked up uh, a couple of others, so I have like I up my Sammy collection by like a thousand percent just <laughs> just with those few records. So I never got into this. This was one of these albums I just never got into. Um, so I literally have the vinyl just for the novelty of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely get that. I, I again, I was kind of excited about it because if you look at the back of it, it says produced by Hagar and Sean. So you kind of get that idea, like, oh wow, this is this is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, but it was a disappointment ultimately. Yeah, and the uh, the project didn't last very long, so it's not like they you you really did much else. Sammy Hagar went within two years to go to Van Halen. Um, obviously Neil Sean has continued with journey all this time. I'm not too sure about the other two guys. Um, but you know, they've, they've also, from what I saw during my research was they've gone on, you know, for many years, continued their music career. So it didn't stunt them or anything. It wasn't a setback of any type. It just, it's just a project that didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, Neil Sean, for, for whatever reason has this, um, immense amount of creativity and he needs to get it out because he's done. I did. He did several albums with uh, John Hammer, um, the uh, the keyboardist. So you know, they they did that several albums together. And I think they actually got back together recently um, because of the anniversary of, of that first album of theirs. So that that was something that happened for for Neil throughout the 80s he was always trying to collaborate with somebody okay um so continuing on the sammy hagar kick that we're on here 
he's had several projects over the years outside of Van Halen. And they weren't necessarily while he was in Van Halen, but after he left Van Halen. And one of the ones that came up, uh, and this is more recent, this began in 2008. Um, I'm talking about his project Chickenfoot. I mean, that was a full-blown band. Um, and Chickenfoot consisted of Sammy Hagar, uh, which we just spoke about, Joe Satriani, uh, everyone knows the, the guitar player. Um, and he's he was never in any other band, uh, and he was just basically a guitarist who started doing uh, those uh, guitar solo albums, instrumentals. Uh, Michael Anthony on bass, we all know who Michael is from Van Halen, and then Chad Smith, the drummer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So that is Chickenfoot. And the only time they had someone else in the band was um, Chad. I was, I believe, it was during the Chicken Foot Three tour. Chad couldn't tour, so they picked up uh, Kenny Arnoff as a drummer. Um, but that's one of the reasons why um, the band is kind of not together now because they want to be. Sammy wants it to be just the original four guys. He doesn't want anybody else other than Chad playing drums, Joe on guitar. Michael on bass and him singing. So anyhow, the the band released two albums. They released their first album, Chicken Foot, and then they released their not necessarily sophomore album, <laughs> Chicken Foot 3. Um, if if any, and anyone knows the jokes out there, if anybody follows Sammy Hagar at all, they were so excited about their second album that they did, they did not want to go through a sophomore slump, but they were so excited that they just wanted to jump right to the third album, so they named it 3 instead of naming it Chicken Foot 2. Um, the albums were okay. They had one or two good songs that were adequate, I guess you could say. Um, and, and that's part of the reason why they didn't sell well. There was not a really super standout track that, that took radio by storm or anything like that. And so they they really just kind of wallowed in the mire. They didn't really do much as far as sales were concerned, as far as excitement to see them tour. So Sammy kind of got a little bit discouraged and, and they, you know, because Chad couldn't tour with them, they've really not gotten back together since then. Have you listened to any of the, the their music? Oh, yeah. Um, I was pretty excited about it when the first album came out. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I liked a few of the tracks on there. Uh, I would say specifically, um, what was it called? Uh, oh, yeah. Was one that I that really stuck out to me. There was a few good tracks on there, um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Van Halen. It wasn't, uh, you know, some of Sammy's solo stuff. And a lot of times when you get these virtuoso guitar players on there, the 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 songs aren't necessarily super memorable, which is always a you know downside to it. But I did like them. I thought they were good. Um, I was a little disappointed that they didn't continue on they released two albums you know pretty much not back to back but within a you know two years i guess and then just disappeared so i get it i get it that they're not going to get back together without chad smith but um i guess it just they just never really stuck out enough to me to to be like super sad that they're not back together. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest thing that really discouraged um, Sammy was the fact mm-hmm. that they didn't really take off. He was so excited about the band. And yeah. I mean, when you think about it on the, on the surface, it's really cool to see those four guys together, but the music wasn't 
super stellar, and that was part of it. I mean, I like the song Bigfoot. I like that All Right song. Uh, the Oh Yeah song. I also liked All Right, All Right. That was a pretty cool song. Um, but in reality, I mean, over two albums, and you've got eh, maybe four decent songs, five. It, it's, a, it's a tough one to sell to the general public, especially at, at a time when album sales were declining and that's that's the tough part it, it was i think bad timing to to, to get yeah. super excited about that and it was you know you're coming off of the last breakup you know 2004 where van halen separated from sammy pretty bad terms kicked michael out you know just i don't know it's it was kind of a you expected more i guess from it and Maybe they were coming off of that, those kind of bad vibes, and <laughs> you know, it's been not. It was not the greatest project, but it was. It was still a lot of fun. I think. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. All right, what do we got next? Um, let's talk about uh, Symphonia. Now, a lot of people probably might not know Symphonia, uh, but if you're into power metal, uh. South American power metal or even um, um, Scandinavian then these this is like a major supergroup. you have Andre Matos from Angra uh, Timo Tolki from Stradivarius Yari uh, this is going to be a tough one <laughs> Yari Kainulainen Yari Kainulainen sounds about from- right from Stradivarius, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing these, uh, Miko Harkin from Sonata Arctica, and Uli Kirsch, Uli Kirsch from Holy Moses, Gamma Ray, and Halloween. Now, th- those are German brand- bands, if you're familiar with Halloween. Um, he was a longtime drummer, as well as Gamma Ray, which was their original singer's uh, project after he left Halloween. So, um, Angra, huge south american power metal band andre matos was their original singer timo tolki was the guitarist and mastermind behind stradivarius for most of their career uh, i guess not technically at this point but at the time that the band came out would be because it's been 10 years now uh symphonia was around from 2010 to 2011 uh they only put out one album called in paradisium um and I thought it was a pretty good album. I didn't think it was amazing, but this was a huge shocker because they put out the album and within a couple months, Timo Toki disbanded, disbanded the band. Um, he basically just sent everybody an email and said, this isn't working out. I, I, I don't think it's as good as it could have been. It's over. And this was kind of following his his exit from Stradivarius where he said he was retiring from music and then he basically said the same thing again I'm going to retire from music this isn't working out for me and then he's gone on to continue his own solo side project all this time since so he was obviously going through some things but it really shocked and upset the other members of the band and it was just kind of a shocker as a fan too because i remember being pretty excited about this andre matos did those first few angra albums and his voice is just really angelic he has such a high range his ability to to go pretty low as well like he has a very 
very dynamic range. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really seen much of him since. He'd done some other stuff kind of outside the genre of metal. Um, or not necessarily outside, but more operatic kind of stuff. And then to see him back in a major project like this was kind of exciting. And then it just dies right off the bat. <laughs> I I don't know anything about Symphonia. Um, I, I, I do know... You know, I've heard of Andre Matos. I've heard of, of Timo. Um, but I, I never really had got into this or, or had heard about it. Um, it was it came out at a time I was already here in Texas, 2011. But uh, it, it, it wasn't something, I guess, that I knew anything about at the time. So um, this is, I would, I, well, it's hard for me to explain <laughs> um I think I think the the most important thing to take away from this was because like this is just this was a project that could have been a lot bigger than it was and it just I, I swear within months it was just done it was over no more touring no more uh no more promotion nothing it was over that's weird I mean that that that, that is absolutely strange you know that something like that would would happen yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to give this a listen to because I have been, you know, touching a little bit more on power metal than I have, you know, in the last few years. So that is something I, I have, I do have some interest in. So I want to check this out. Um, that'd be pretty interesting to listen to. I think it's worth it. It's, it's just sad because it's like, it's such a brief thing. The only thing that I would say is this late in Andre's career, um, he doesn't quite have quite the power that he had when he was younger, but that's going to happen when you're singing in those really extremely high registers, kind of like Jeff Tate, you know, where Jeff Tate's voice is not as strong as it used to be. He still can sing very well, but he, he just doesn't have that. He get, he got older. So that's the only thing. So if you go back and listen to Angra, um, you're going to be even more blown away by his singing ability. I'll definitely check it out. I, I mean, we've talked about anger so many times. I'm just like, I need to listen to them more often. <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to uh, a band that I, it's hard to explain. They've had a lot of members um, and they've had a lot of turmoil in their career. And the band I'm talking about is Adrenaline Mob. Um, they, they formed in 2011 um, they formed with Russell Allen on vocals, Mike Orlando on guitar, um, Rich Ward on guitar, and then they also had Paul DeLeo on bass, as well as um, Mike Portnoy on drums. And that was the original band. And then, you know, um, Paul DeLeo and Rich Ward went on to go to do Fozzie with Chris Jericho. Um, John Moyer joined the band um, from Disturbed. So they, they've had a, a kind of like an in and out um, with with their band members. Um, so I'm looking at my list here, and <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, apparently I I thought that Michael Anthony was in the band, uh, but he wasn't. I left him on a list of bass players that that performed in Adrenaline Mob, but Michael Anthony did not play. No, That's just a Mob. copy and paste there. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> Uh, and then the, the drummer who replaced uh, Mike Portnoy was AJ Pirro. So now 
to to getting to the point where there was some 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 tough luck for this band. Um, in the middle of the tour in 2015, AJ Pirro passes away of a heart attack, um, and so that leaves them kind of high and dry. And then they re they get back together. They get um, Jordan Canada on drums, and they are on tour in 2017. And they get into a bus accident. Well, no, it's not a bus accident. Let me let me see that. Their bus or RV gets a flat. They pull over to the side of the highway, and uh, they're on I seventy five in Florida, and they get hit by a tractor trailer. An eighteen wheeler hits them, and kills their the, the touring bass player that they had. He was um, John Moyer had left the band, and then this guy David Zabladowski was killed. And the tour manager, Janet Jane Train Rains, um, she had some some um, third degree burns and some some injuries. She ended up passing away five weeks after that accident. So between 2015, when when AJ Pirro passes away, and then this car this bus accident on the side of the road, um, where they lost a, a mem- another member and a member of their touring party, they've had some bad luck and some some tragedy. And um, I believe it was Mike Orlando who had to took a couple of years to recuperate from some of his injuries, either him or Russell Allen. I can't remember which one it was. And it is I mean, technically they're still together, but I recently read in an interview. Uh, I think Russell said that he has no uh, burning desire to put the band back together, even though they're technically considered still uh, uh, a an active band, which is weird. If you have mm. no interest in putting it together, just say it's over and done with. That's it. I mean, the, the music yeah. was good. You know, it, it's unfortunate. the The music is to me is outstanding. I actually love their covers EPs. They have really two really good covers EPs. Um, but musically, I mean, it was good stuff. But it wasn't necessarily mainstream metal. It wasn't you know the ones with the great amount of hooks. Did you check out any of their albums? I did. Um, I, I remember when they were forming. Um, was around the time that I was watching uh, that metal show, and they had Mark, Mike Portnoy on there daily. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's good friends with with uh, Eddie Trunk, so yeah, he, he's going to be on there all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, I was a, I was a fan of Symphony X all throughout high school to now. Um, you know, so I was I was interested. So. I've I've heard some of the earlier stuff. I really honestly kind of dropped off from them. I would say probably after the the second album. Um I just haven't, you know, just things happen in your life, you you get busy and and I just kind of lost track of them. Yeah, I mean, and and they've had so much, you know, kind of a start start stop start stop, you know, yeah. type of career. Uh, in in the in the te- you know twenty teens that it was hard to keep up with them really so and with all with the with the revolving circle of of musicians a lot of times that turns people off you know when styles when, change etc yeah yeah you know and and like when I was a kid and I would read a magazine now obviously today's world is different you know you follow online magazines or you follow online websites. Um, the same way that we, that I did as a kid, you know, you get a magazine at the store and you say, okay, so you got the, the, this new album's coming out, you know, because you see the advertisement and then you see an interview and it says, oh, well, this guy's out of the band and we, now we've got this new member. Sort of like, you know, Van Halen and Sammy Hagar and all that stuff. And when you, when you deal with 
this, you know, oh, so our original guitar player and original bassist is gone. They're in another band. You know, we're bringing up this guy who's not leaving his main band, talking about John Moyer, but he's going to be our touring thing. So basically, John Moyer is playing bass for Adrenaline Mob on the side. So essentially, Adrenaline Mob is a side project, you know, and it's also a side project for Symphony X, but Symphony X wasn't a major touring act. So, you know, who was, who was more important? You know, it's, it's one of those weird, weird things. Yeah. You know, so... Anyhow, I thought the music was cool. I mean, I really love their cover of Devil Went Down to Georgia. I They did a really cool Black Sabbath medley. Um, they did uh, Barracuda. Uh, yeah, Barracuda is actually really cool. It is very cool. It's just odd that it's, you know, it's a guy singing. Yeah. Um, and, and they did a cover of a song that we're going to talk about from a, uh, from a band we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, so uh, we'll, 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 we'll kind of touch upon that in a little bit. But so yeah, so I really like their covers albums, but um, the the regular stuff, I just I it, for me it didn't hook me enough to say, oh yeah, I want to listen to this. But it was, it was fair. decent, yeah. So it was decent. All right, what do you got next? Uh, I'm gonna talk about one. This this one won't take very long, but uh, this was another band that kind of formed and then fizzled out real quick. Uh, this is Contraband. They formed in 1990 and 1991, or to 1991. Uh, the, this really was kind of a, formed by Bobby Blotzer and Cher Peterson from uh, Vixen. Um, they had played an unplugged session at the same time on MTV and thought, you know, let's do something together. Well, they ended up getting Tracy Guns from LA Guns, Michael Shanker from uh, Scorpions and UFO and his own solo projects, and uh, Richard Black from Shark Island, and they formed this band, Contraband. Um, they only put out one album in 1991, and the odd thing to me was I look at the track listing and, and the, the songwriting credits, and not a single song is written by the members of the band. This is a, a truly um, studio-produced band this is you know not them getting together and being a band and i think that that kind of rings very true when you listen to the music it doesn't feel cohesive it doesn't feel like they're all really excited or into it and there's only a couple you know decent songs on the album um and it's just you know it's, it's a bunch of covers and then some songs that were written for them and so they you know got pretty poor reviews mixed to poor and just disbanded it within the year i remember when they came out so if you think if you look at the timeline 1990 1991 what was happening in 1990 and 1991 grunge was starting to come up um and hair bands were starting to become out of fashion if you want to put it that way yeah. if you look if you look at it, you know, 1990, think about Rat had already run its course. Um, they were on their fifth album, I think, and they just weren't doing good anymore. Um, Vixen had released their two albums, but the second one tanked, so there was not much there for them. Michael Schenker was always just doing his own thing. And even L.A. Guns had two six, two pretty decent albums in a row, and then just kind of nothing came of it after that. So they, they all had time on their hands. And... Um, you know, you mentioned the credits, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that's pretty crazy that actually um, Richard Black did have one songwriting credit on, on the one songwriting credit. And it was probably barely anything, and it's just really weird. 
I mean, they did covers. That's obvious. They did at least three covers. So I'm just like, why bother? You know, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, if if you're of this band, like especially with a with a a, a, a Tracy Guns and Michael Schenker, how are you? How are you not sitting there writing your own music? I, I'm really surprised that Schenker's even a part of this because of the fact that there's nothing with his name on it in terms of songwriting. It's just very strange. But whatever, you know. Now, I'm not- I will say that their their cover of All the Way from Memphis is actually really good and has two or three really good solos on it. Um, it's the only track that really stands out to me and I that I really enjoy on this album. So, I mean, this to me was sort of sort of like um, this guy who uh, Spencer Sircom or Sircom was the musical director of this project. So this seems to me like something like he was friends with everybody and he's like, hey, let's get in the studio and, and I got some songs we could record them. And yeah. they're like, yeah, sure. You know, and they did it. So it was kind of weird. I, I remember the all the way from Memphis um, video and the single and all that stuff. And it just, it, as as good as it was, to me, there was no, there was no, um, the camaraderie wasn't there. Yeah. And the, the, the chemistry, that's, that's the word I was looking for. Chemistry wasn't there for this band. And it that's why they didn't go nowhere. It just felt very manufactured. No, of course. I mean, if you look at, even even look at the cover of the album, it has a, a a a picture of tour cases, you know, equipment cases, and it has each of the members' bands logos mm-hmm. on the album cover. And, and they're in the music video for uh, all the way from Memphis as well. They flash across the screen, <laughs> so it, it's kind of weird. And you know, and it's odd that they were all able to get together because they just knowing these record companies. Um, they were all different record companies. Rat was on Atlantic. LA Guns was on Polygram. Vixen was on EMI. MSG. I don't know what Macaulay Schenker was on at the time, and I have no idea what the hell uh, Richard Black was with uh, Shark Island. That just sounds like a bad TV show. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, it, it, welcome this was kind to of... Shark Island. <laughs> Our contestants will be eaten by sharks if they don't. You know <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, we mentioned before Adrenaline Mob did a cover of a song from a band that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that band now. And this is going to lead into the middle ground of some of these supergroups we're talking about. And the reason why I left these guys for last in, in the failed category is because me personally, I don't think this was a failure um, because there was some other extenuating circumstances the reason i listed them let me preface this as a failure because there are extenuating circumstances like you said but the problem is they never took off the ground and there's a lot of reasons for that and some things that um you as we talk about it you'll understand exactly why they were never going to go anywhere Right, and I and I get that. So, um, and it's tough because as a fan, because I was a big fan of yeah, Bad great band. We're we're talking about Badlands. Um, so for those of you who don't know who Badlands are, or is, or was, if you want to put it that way, um, Badlands was a band that formed in 1988. Um, they it was formed by Jakey Lee of Ozzy Osbourne fame. We all know him. Ray Gillen, who was a former singer temporarily of of Black Sabbath. Um, for a very short while. It also had Eric Singer on drums 
And uh, he was from uh, Allison Cooper fame, Black Sabbath fame, and later on went on to join Kiss uh, after he left Badlands. Um, and then uh, Greg Chason was the bass player. And Greg went on to do other things. But, um, and then after Eric left, Greg, uh, excuse me, after Eric left, Jeff Martin joined the band. And Jeff Martin was from Racer X. And he was also, I believe, Jeff Martin used to be a singer and then decided to play drums on this project. I I was a when I first saw this band, I was a huge fan. I loved that first album. I actually loved both their first two albums. Now, I'm gonna I'm only going by the two albums because the third one was a demos album that came out after Ray Gillen had passed away. And that's part of the reason why they are a failure. I get that. <laughs> because about they, five years after, because it came out in nineteen ninety eight. Uh, Ray Gillen passed away in 1993 so this was just one last thing like hey let's release it might as well yeah and there was a lot of people that was trying to get Jake to to basically reform Badlands and I think for Jake he just didn't want to do it without Ray Um, but their their first album was killer it had a great uh, single Dreams in the Dark Um, but the song Highwire is the one that adrenaline mob cover and that's the opening song on this album that's an incredible song incredible song um but you probably have some more information you want to talk about as to why they failed i mean it's it's specifically the fact that they started off you know very strong um then they fired eric singer so they lost some of that chemistry and then ray gillen was very sick uh through the latter part of their career um basically you know at the end of the of of their their time together um they lost their their recording contract um again ray gillen was very sick and it was just bad luck after bad luck after bad luck um i think gill uh, ray gillen went on to do like a solo album with george lynch and that was about it and then he passed away so it was just a lot of unfortunate um circumstances that led to them you know really never taking off and it's unfortunate like i said because the the first album is really great voodoo highway is also good but that first self-titled album i think is pretty phenomenal dreams in the excuse me dreams in the dark hit number 38 on the u.s rock charts um winter's call is a really good song um then they had the last time whiskey dust i mean they, they had some really good tracks and and just timing and bad luck i think just really made them fail that was part of it um from my understanding too is that jake was very stubborn about the direction of this band so you you, yes. you sign up you sign up at the end of the 80s you get signed by a, a record company. Now, Paul O'Neill was the producer, I believe, of the first album. And Paul O'Neill is also famous for doing stuff with Sabotage and uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's got this he's got this whole thing. They, they put this album together and then they're like, all right, we need a single. And they have this song, Dreams in the Dark. It was a song that Jake did not want to do. He did not want a crossover single, but they forced him to do it. And it's like, you know, 
do you want a recording contract or you don't want a recording contract? Do you want to be famous or you don't want to be famous? Do you want to have a band or you don't want to have a band? That's literally the, the, the tug and pull between the record company and the band. And, you know, yeah, you could, you can be stubborn about certain things, but man, you know, give into it. So they, they do it, they tour, they, they kind of, I mean, they have a hit single. It was a great video, great song. The album was great. And then they get to their second album. And when I listen, when I put the second album in, I was like, man, I love the production on it. And I, the songs are a lot more heavy blues based, you know, blues metal, blues rock, whatever you want to call it. And I remember listening, you know, reading or seeing interviews with Jakey Lee saying that they spent a ton of money to make it sound cheap. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It I does. Mean, tr- it sounds a lot different. Yeah, it's it's very dry. It's very raw. Um, they put it. Um, they you know they triggered the drums to to make sure that it was always the perfect sound. Um, but it, it sounds great. There's it, it, nothing wrong with it. it. But it is very very raw sounding. I mean, it's, you know, it's like almost in, in not production value wise, but the rawness. It's very similar to Saint Anger. How it's just so raw. Or, or just the way, I guess not St. Anger so much as, as the way James does his vocals now, which is super dry. Right. Um, that's the way this album is. It's just very dry. But at the same time, it's really good. They got some good songs. And they do a killer version of Fire and Rain, the, the James Taylor song, which James Taylor had denounced. He did not want them to do the song, but they did it anyway, and he got pissed off about it. Well, too bad. <laughs> You know, that's a good reason. I'm not a big James Taylor fan. Uh, there, there's so my dad always really liked James Taylor, and uh, he has a a song on this one CD my dad had, and I I, I wish I knew what it was, but he sings this song and he's, he's talking about sweet potato pie, and it it just goes like sweet potato pie now, and 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 ever <laughs> since that like we've just died. And he plays it like every time I'm on a long road trip or something with him, he puts that on just to, you know, remind me of that song. But but back to Badlands, um, the second album's very bluesy. Um, yes, a huge change in the sound, a, a lot different than your typical '80s metal sound, which was kind of on the first album. So, you know, more in the direction of what he wanted. But again, Ray Gillen by 1990 was was diagnosed with he had AIDS, and he really declined in health very quickly and even just at the very beginning of their career you know already sick and it just that's 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 a death sentence not only uh, and i don't mean that in a like i'm sorry for the way that came out but like for the band it it is because that's the face of the band and I right, can understand yeah. Jakey Lee not wanting to continue without him because that's that's their sound. That's the band. Yeah, exactly. I got to see Badlands in a small club in 1991. You know, Jake and uh, Greg and Jeff and and Ray. Ray, it was just amazing. You know, and uh, to know that he was basically dying at that point. Yeah. You no, know, you know, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, he would he would live for another two years, um, but it's still. It's still just a sad thing to kind of know that that was, you know, not a lot, a long time left to live. The one really cool thing uh, before we go, go on to something, uh, to the next category, basically, um, 
there's a song on here called In a Dream. And I'm 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 being a big fan of of or excuse me, me being a big fan of Badlands. This song ends the album. It's completely a cappella. It's Ray Gillen's voice. It's just a beautiful, tiny a cappella song. And I say tiny because it's short. And Badlands is not this big national act. You know, there there's a, a small core of us fans that that know this band. And in 2005, American Idol contestant Bo Bice does does a version of that song as his song of the week or whatever it is. And I was like a little kid. Now, in 2005, I was already 30, uh, 26 years old, right? 26? No, 36. And, dude, I, I was in front of the TV like a little kid glued because I'm like, I could not believe that someone else knew this song. <laughs> Because it was the last song on the that's, album. It's funny. And I was like, I mean, glued to it. I'm like, I cannot believe this. This is amazing, you know? And <laughs> But of course, you know, I'm like one of 10 people that know that shit. <laughs> I'm sure it's anyway, more. But yeah, I'm sure it's more. And one last note um, on Ray Gillen. Even though there's not a lot of material out there with him on it, uh, Black Sabbath did eventually release a deluxe edition of Eternal Idol, which has his original vocals on it, as well as Tony Martin's uh, on separate discs. So uh, that is worth checking out. I There was a bootleg that went around for years, and I had that, but now um, you can actually get an official release with better sound quality. Very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, very cool. Is Eric Singer on any official release? Uh, yeah, he's on um, Eternal Idol, and uh, there was another one. He's He was on Seventh Star. Ah, okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, that, so as we were talking about, you know, the, the, the bands that failed and Badlands between their attitude towards the record company and the fact that, that Ray passes away, they're, they're, they were promising they just did not get past that next level. So now we're going to get to that next level, which is the bands that kind of somewhat made it and somewhat had some some success. And what do you have for that? So I'm going to start off with Black Country Communion. Uh, they were a band that formed in 2009 and lasted till 2013 on their original run and then has reformed since in 2016 and to, to now, even though they've kind of taken a break due to the pandemic. Um, that was formed by Glenn Hughes and Joe Bonamassa, Glenn Hughes of Trapeze, uh, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, etc. You know, so many different bands. Uh, Joe Bonamassa mostly did solo solo work. Um, Jason Bonham on drums uh, of Bonham uh, Foreigner and the Led Zeppelin Reunions, the son of uh, John Bonham. And uh, Derek Sherinian, who uh, was in Dream Theater, Alice Cooper, Yngwie Malmsteen, again etc um so definitely a super group in in all senses of the word uh they've released four albums black country communion black country communion 2 afterglow and those were the first uh three releases from 2010 2011 and 2012 and then since they've reformed they've released bcc 4 i guess technically it's in roman numerals and that was in 2017 um, so the reason I put them in the middle 
was because that first album was really well received. The second album was too as well, but that first album was really good. And um, the band definitely felt like they were they were on track and they were you know doing really well. By the time Afterglow came out, though, the uh, Joe Bonamassa had kind of like you know he wanted to go back to doing his solo stuff. He they couldn't fulfill certain commitments because of his overlapping schedule with his solo stuff and it, it was very obvious that he was kind of checked out by that point um and glenn hughes and he had some really strong disagreements you know uh joe bonamassa said he was bullying him into trying to finish the commitments but you know uh, I can understand that from that perspective, but he also had his own stuff going on. So, you know, there there was some miscommunication, just bad communication going on. And so they just kind of fizzled out. Um, but luckily, within a couple of years, they got back together. They worked out all their differences and they put out BCC4. And it's, again, a really good album. Um, you know, this is a little bit different than the normal stuff we would talk about. We don't typically talk about um you know black country communion and and bands of their ilk but i think this is a good way that we can kind of get that in because it is more of a hard rock blues rock band but these are icons in the industry as well and it's worth talking about oh absolutely i mean glenn hughes is an absolute icon in the music industry and in the hard rock and even in part of the heavy metal world when you think about yeah. it, i mean he was in deep purple and black sabbath you know and Black Sabbath, um, you know, and he was in Black Sabbath as a singer. Um, so that, you know, uh, did he play bass on, 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 uh, no, that was he on the seventh? Yeah. So he was just there as a, just as a singer. singer. Yeah. And the same thing kind of happened because he was, it was a weird thing. He was hired in, in to Deep Purple and he thought he was going to get the singing gig. And then they bring in this young, uh, stud of a singer, <laughs> David Coverdale. <laughs> And David, so they shared singing duties in Deep Purple, him and David, you know, Glenn and David. But um, eventually, Dave, David was was the the uh, the singer. Um, but that collaboration or that that friendship that they developed in Deep Purple has lasted to this day. I mean, they are super tight friends. Mm -hmm. Glenn has has had an illustrious career, but at the same time, he has had a crazy crazy career with with the the amount of drug addiction or not the amount the with the, the the drug addiction that he went through and i mean he's said it himself he shouldn't be here but he is and he's making the best of everything now and the guy's voice still holds up to this day and that is the crazy part about it because his voice is just amazing i think his voice was at the worst in the late 80s because he had gained weight and was dealing with drug addiction and, and or maybe not addiction at that time but the 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 um, side effects etc but yeah he was he had some really severe i think he was overheating at the the black sabbath shows and he had to take time off and this and that and it just yeah he he's really turned his life around and he's doing great now oh yeah i mean and the guy's almost what 70 years old or something like that yeah he's 70 i, mean, he's, I believe yeah so that, that's crazy uh he is actually 70 right now and he still looks good so that's the, the the crazy part and i i got into this first album black country, country communion i thought it was pretty good hard rock album there's nothing wrong with that i mean shit i listened to the black crows um so it's same style 
um, maybe this is probably a little bit heavier than that. Yeah. Um, I just really like Glenn Hughes' voice. He's got a great voice and oh, yeah. uh, a very and, unique and, sound. Yeah. And another thing that came out of that too was because of them being kind of on hold for a little bit, um, Glenn formed uh, another side project because that's all he does really. Um, he formed a side project with Jason Bonham called California breed, another hard rock project. Um, so he, Glenn Hughes, and, and this has turned into more of a Glenn Hughes thing because of who he is, has collaborated with everybody. And he has all these side projects right now. He has the dead daisies. I mean, that's just that they just released a new album like a week or two ago, something like that, you know, or a month ago. So yeah, I mean, He's always doing something. So Black Country Communion was pretty cool at the time. And I could see, I think that the whole thing with Joe Bonamassa was that Joe wanted to go back to being just a blues player, mm -hmm. blues guitarist. And and Joe's his own guy. I mean, Joe's his own leader. He's the band leader. Um, and so I, I think I, he wanted to expand his horizon and he joined Black Country Communion and had the project. But in reality, it wasn't, who he was and i think that's the reason why he pulled back on it and so glenn guilted him into finishing up another album but i i don't see that coming to fruition well, no, again. no 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 that's that's not 100 percent true because he he did leave and then he came back he wanted to come back by that point they kind of worked out their differences so um yeah they, they they really only put things on hold at this point due to the p pandemic so there is possible they've talked about putting a, a new album out and they were going to like they started production i believe in 2020 but everything just kind of went sideways because of the pandemic okay gotcha um and speaking of derek sherinian i mean uh, he was also a, a touring keyboardist for kiss at, at one point oh, so that's okay so that's an interesting thing too all right um I'm going to bring up Sammy Hagar again and the circle. Uh, now this time, so we're, it's funny. If you start listening, if, if, if anybody's catching everybody that we're talking about, there's a lot of people. This is almost like the six degrees of separation of Sammy Hagar or Glenn Hughes because, or Jason Bonham. Cause this is, or Michael these, Anthony, who is in adrenaline. He's on my list. He's not necessarily in the band, <laughs> but they do need a bass player. <laughs> Shit. I'm sorry. That, that, that was uncalled for. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think it was meant it's, in ill will. No, but it's technically true. It is. <laughs> so anyhow, um, Sammy Hagar formed the circle after chicken foot, uh, kind of went on hiatus and the circle started as a jam of Sammy, Michael, Vic Johnson, which is uh, his guitar player from Sammy Hagar and the Wabaritas, uh, and um, Jason Bonham. You know, and Jason Bonham just plays, you know, you tell him to show up and he'll be at your house. I mean, I think if I call him, he'll be here tomorrow. Um, so <laughs> um, they, they started this band in 2014, and it started as a cover band. They literally released their first album. It was a live album. They did a tour and they just played covers of Led Zeppelin and Van Halen and a couple of Sammy Hagar songs. I think maybe one or two Montreux songs in there. And that is it. That's how the band started. And through their continued collaboration and their continued chemistry, they actually put out an album. 
uh, and they have since released a few albums. Um, so um, they released Space Between in 2019. So you think about it. 2014 is when they formed. I believe 2015 is when they came out with At Your Service, which was the live album. And then 2019 was their first new music. And then they did a Lockdown 2020, which was from the lockdown sessions in 2020. Uh, in 2020. They released in 2021. And now they got a new album coming out called Crazy Times. I I like some of the songs on Space Between. Um, and so before uh, I let you take over this this thing, the, the funny note about one song on Space Between is a song called Trust Fund Baby. And that is a, a, a blatant ripoff of a Montrose song called I've Got the Fire. So heavy metal fans will know that Iron Maiden covered that song. Um, and, so, and Sammy claims... Since he, since Ronnie Montrose cheated him out of money, he was allowed to rip off his own song because the riff is "I've Got the Fire." Dead it on. is. I w- <laughs> I was gonna mention that, but yeah, that first album's a lot of fun. I kind of like it better than Chicken Foot because I I think that Sammy um, loosened up a little bit, and it I think that definitely shows in the sound of of the circle. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of enjoy it better. Um, I haven't really listened to the newest album, to be honest. I need to. Um, but that Lockdown 2020 is pretty cool. Um, the Space Between, I think, is the best one so far, though. You, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the fact that he seems a little bit looser, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I, 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 he has this amazing chemistry with Michael and Vic. Yeah. Not Michael Vic. <laughs> but Michael and Vic. <laughs> um, and, so Michael Anthony and Vic Johnson. And, and he's got an, also an incredible chemistry with Jason Bonham. And that that is what shows. You can hear it. You can see it between the four of them. And it's pretty cool. Um, they have a good chemistry in Chicken Foot. But I think it's more, you know, one of these things where it's like, they ha- it has to be those four guys. You know, otherwise, yeah. you know, it, they don't have that same chemistry. There's a chemistry between Sammy and Joe Satriani that leads to what they play. But this one is like, they don't care. It's like, this is four guys just hanging around jamming in their sandals. Just having you know, a good time. Sh- sh- having a good time. And they came up with cool music. That's what that was, you know. So I like I liked the first album. It's pretty cool. Um, I listened to it for a little bit. Um, the Lockdown Sessions, if anybody followed them on Instagram, they did really cool versions of some Van Halen songs, um, a lot of other covers. And Vic Johnson is just a beast of a guitar player. Um, Very good so, guitar player, yes. Yeah, and then, of course, you know you can always hear Michael, Michael Anthony's background vocals because he's just superior to almost anybody back th- out there. His, vo- his background vocals made Van Halen. And I don't I don't mean a hundred percent because all those guys made Van Halen. But that's that's such a unique sound. And that's something I definitely always associate with Van Halen. Yeah. Exactly. And you could tell when he wasn't on the uh, he wasn't on a different kind of truth, you could tell the background vocals it's not were, the same. were kinda they were off, you know. All right. Anyway, um, all right, so we're going to go to the next band. And before you introduce this next band, because this is the third and final one that's in the middle, there's there's an association with one of the bands that we would consider successful. And I think that it, what's funny about it is that they were both around the same time. Um, both had different kinds of success, 
but you know, one kind of had to stop while the other one didn't have to stop, but eventually were kind of forced to stop. So go ahead and read the next band. So I'm not sure um, why this band wasn't bigger. I I guess I am sure why this band wasn't bigger than they are because they should have been successful. They should have been huge. But this is a cautionary tale and why drugs and alcohol can totally derail something and ruin it. Um, This band I was a big fan of when they came out and that's Velvet Revolver. They came out in 2002. They lasted until 2008. And then they had one one-off show in 2012. Um, they were made up of Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, he was only in the band uh, from 2003 to 2008, and he was kind of the, the reason why they uh, disbanded, but I'll get into that in a bit. Uh, the, the lead guitar is Slash from Guns N' Roses, obviously. Uh, Duff Wait, Ma- I, thought, I thought he was in that band Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Yes, he is also <laughs> from that band um, and Slash a Snake Pit. Um, you had Dave Kushner also on guitars, uh, Duff McKagan and Matt Sorum of Guns N' Roses fame as well. Um, so you basically had Guns N' Roses meet Stone Temple Pilots and their first album was great. Contraband came out in 2004, um, had a couple great singles off of it, Slither, I think most people would know, Um, and it was fantastic, Uh, but by the time 2007 came around, Libertad came out, and it wasn't quite as good, it was still still a good album, Uh, but Scott Weiland's drug problem really was ramping up, and by 2008, they had broken up. This is from a band that had five award nominations including two wins uh the kerrang awards best international newcomer in 2004 and they actually won a grammy for slither in 2005 they were on the upward slope you know they were they were doing really well and then they just dropped off due to um really a sad event i mean scott wyland ended up passing away in 2015 never got over his drug issues um you know, like I said, they, they reunited for one show in 2012, which was kind of hopeful. Um, up till that point, they continued to say, because Duff McKagan had appeared in interviews saying, oh, yeah, we're still looking for a singer. Once we find that singer, we're going to get back together. This is still going to be a project. And um, it just never happened. And it's really sad. They were a really cool band. And I actually saw them twice. Um, they, they, I saw them headline a show and I saw them, uh, do, what was it called? Ozfest. So I, I, I really enjoyed them. And the first album was amazing. Um, to think the reason why their single fall to pieces was on that album was because Axl Rose did not like the song and turned it down right. when Sl- Slash submitted it to And then Axl. he puts out. Chinese democracy. <coughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had a had a cough. Um, <laughs> I like Velvet Revolver. They were really cool. Um, I just 
you see that combination in, in the band that we're going to talk about next. All also had the very similar chemistry. Um, that that chemistry that they had, you know, this Guns N' Roses slash and Duff, which they they their collaboration is almost inseparable. Um, and then they had this guy that was the drummer for Guns N' Roses and, and Matt Sorum. Um, you bring in Kushner, who's basically, I don't want to say he's a session musician, but he's been in a few bands in and out of stuff like that. And, you know, they, just the chemistry was amazing. And they did some really good tunes. I mean, you know, S- Scott's a really good mu- singer. He was a really good musician in general. Um, but he was very eclectic and he had his demons, you know, and so did, so did, um, Slash, but Slash got over him. So did Duff. So Duff got over him. It was one of those demons that Scott could not get over. He just couldn't he, get through it. Yeah. He couldn't get through it. So, um, Libertad came out. It wasn't that great of an album. It had its highlights and that was about it. And that's where you saw the downfall. And I think that's when you saw the smaller crowds coming to the shows. You know, certain times people, and I would say people in general, lose interest in in what's going on around them. And I'm talking about the band members and I'm not, I'm specifically talking about Scott, you know, you begin to see things, things in a different way because of, of what you're going through. And so yeah, he, you know, he was trying to get back into stone temple pilots and he's trying to do his own solo thing. So it was all over the place, you know? And so with a weak album and, you know, you start, to, you start, your mind starts to wander. And I think that's where their failure, um, kind of middling in the road it should have been better like you said ended up kind of being the demise of the band it's in, on top of that with Scott passing away so that didn't help yeah I mean I still think the second album was a really good album it just wasn't as good and sometimes that can can be as damning as as a bad album you know because people's expectations just are sometimes very unrealistic and when you release a a first album that's very good even just being a little bit not worse i guess a little bit worse would be a sophomore slump but i mean she builds quick machines was an awesome song um the last flight um man I'm trying to remember the the songs off of the album. Just Sixteen was really good. I mean, the album was was not bad. It's just not as good as Contraband was, which was which was awesome as a banger. Exactly. So that leads us now into the successful bands, and I'm going to start off with the successful band because again, I mentioned at the beginning of the Velvet Revolver thing that there was two bands that kind of collaborated that kind of came out around the same time. Um, and we're going to talk about Audio Slave, uh, which was basically a combination of the band of Rage Against the Machine with Chris Cornell from a uh, from Soundgarden. Uh, Soundgarden had already broken up, and he got together. Uh, Chris Cornell got together with um, oh Jesus Christ, what's his name? Tom, uh, Tom Morello, and they 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 collaborated and put together what I consider to be this amazing absolutely the the perfect blend between these two bands i mean the album sounds like 
Soundgarden meets Rage Against the Machine. There's no other way to put it. It's much like Velvet Revolver sounds like Stone Temple Pilots meets Guns N' Roses. Um, there's, it's, it's just no denying who those musicians are and how they come across. Obviously, Chris Cornell, his voice is associated with Soundgarden. And the, but when you listen, think about Tom Morello, Brad Wilk, and uh, I forget the bass player's name. Uh, be taught Tim Comerford. Oh, Tim Comfort or, or Tim.com is what, it, what he calls himself. That, you know, um, those three guys just are Rage Against the Machine. And when they play together, that is what they sound like. So throwing Chris Cornell and it's just like exactly that collaboration. I love that first album. I love it. First seven songs, hands down, awesome. I like the first album too. I, I thought... Honestly, I thought they kind of found more of their own sound with with Out of Exile, the second album. They did, they did, they, they, very similar to how Alter Bridge found a different sound after One uh, One Day Remains. Yeah, right. You know, so they found they found, but it's still when you think about it, when you still it was a uniquely audio slave sound, but there was that hint of each band in the background, and that that that's what I liked about it. But the first album hands down just like Velvet Revolver's first album was just solid I believe Audio Slave sold more records it was a bigger album I mean it was it was enormous it was huge I mean the band went to Cuba on a Goodwill mission um, and they were the first American musicians to play in Cuba you know in God knows how long ago. I had forgotten that that's true oh that that documentary is awesome yeah that, you know I love it um, so I liked it. Out of Exile was a good album. It, obviously, to me, it wasn't as good as the first one, but it was still very good. I mean, they had some good songs on it, and they had they released a couple of good singles, so they kept the momentum going. Um, and Revelations, like you said, they had that sound that they brought from Out of Exile. They had the same sound on Revelations. I, th- I think a lot of people think you know either the first album or the second album is the best. Like there's a, there, it's pretty divisive but not in a way that's like oh I, you know this one's the best you know like in an angry way it's it's just the fans either think that but revelations was kind of where it dropped off a little bit but it's still a good album no it, it is absolutely a good album um just that first one was so enormous i guess you could put it that way it was so big of an album yeah. and they, they did so much off of it that it, it kind of overshadowed the rest of their career basically and then you know towards the end of the career um there was that lull in their in their creativity their songwriting and in chris cornell's desire to do other stuff it came down to rage against machine i believe reunited at one point and they reunited in in 2007 i believe like right right after they broke up right and and so chris cornell was kind of left with what do i do now type of thing and he could have continued his solo career but his solo career wasn't going anywhere and you can tell that chris cornell desired the big stage so what do you do even though and this is a, a not a rumor, but this is this is speculation that I read about. He reached out to his mem- his band members in Soundgarden, and they decided at some point they were going to reunite. Um, that that was not um, precipitated by the fact that hey, I miss you guys. I want to get back together. It was precipitated by the fact that 
this could be big for us financially. And, and that's what I kind of understand had led to the reunion of Soundgarden. Okay. You know, Chris wasn't doing much. And um, obviously the guys at Soundgarden weren't doing anything. So, <laughs> well, Matt Cameron was in Pearl Jam at this point. Um, so that's what I precipitated the, the, the reunion to, to, uh, for, excuse me, for Soundgarden. Uh, which is, uh, in the end, where um, Chris Cornell ended up passing away on tour with uh, Soundgarden. Gotcha, yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah he passed away in uh, 2017, like he said. Um, you know, another case of of the industry kind of taking it out of somebody. Yeah, and his his was a strange one because you know he wasn't he wasn't like on heroin like his friend Andrew Wood was when they when he when Andrew died and he made you know and, and Chris Cornell put together Temple of the Dog as a tribute, but it was one of those things where he had some sort of addiction that overtook him and accidental or not it was one of those things where it wasn't supposed to happen that way but it did and so here we are and then shortly thereafter the results of that is what led to chester bennington doing something similar yeah it's a the music industry is unforgiving and they don't care and they continue to feed your addictions no matter what they don't care. I mean, because it comes down to, we'll go to the next guy and we'll go to the next guy and we'll go to the next guy and they just leave you behind. And it's a, it's a, it's a nasty, nasty business. You know, some people can be successful at it and get around it or survive it. One of the two, however you want to look at it. Um, but there are a whole host of talented musicians who succumb to it. And that's just the, 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 bad part and i say i call it the music industry because it's you know it happens in any industry but music industry is just relentless and they don't give a shit and it's just tough for sure but we're here to celebrate the music so um you have anything else to say on audio slave so i did want to note so the first two albums did go platinum the second album debuted at number one becoming their biggest selling album like right off the bat um and then revelations did hit gold as well as their uh, like a stone single went gold so they had some really good acc- accolades they like a stone uh, man that first album was just amazing i love it it's so good um you know not a lot of people sit there well it's not rage against the machine no it's not it's not Sunguard. no it's not no but cochise is pretty close Co- to rage Co- against the machine cochise is so awesome i love that song all right uh what do you got after audio slave on the successful side so I want to talk about a band that was kind of successful in a different part of the world. Uh, this is Mr. Big, formed in 1988, that went through 2002, and then reformed in 2009, and then now has gone on an indefinite hiatus, basically ending their career in 2018, and I'll explain that. Um, 
Eric Martin on vocals. He was a mostly solo act. Uh, Paul Gilbert from Racer X. Uh, he was in the band until 1999 and then left uh, to go back to Racer X, do his own thing. And at that point, Richie Kotzen, who was in Poison, uh, would fill in for the remainder until 2002. But Paul Gilbert would return uh, when they reformed in 2009. Uh, Billy Sheehan, who was with Talis and David Lee Roth. We talked about him when we did our uh, David Lee Roth episode versus Sammy Hagar with Edom and Smile versus OU812. Um, no, we didn't do OU812. We did 5150, didn't 5150. we? 5150, yes, yeah. Uh I, I was just thinking about the uh, the wordplay. <laughs> and then <laughs> Pat Torpy, who plays with uh, Chris Impelitari, uh, which we have not talked about, but we need to do a gu- guitar virtuoso episode at some point. Um, yeah. And then Matt Starr was the uh, session drummer while pat torpy's health was declining he did pass away in 2018 and that's why the band has gone on an indefinite hiatus they do not want to play without him uh which is completely understandable that's what we talked about uh earlier as well with uh was it um was it uh adrenaline mom didn't want to play without their other members or no chicken foot didn't want to play without chad smith that's true okay um, so get, I totally get that when you have a certain chemistry, you don't want to play without your other members. So, um, they put, they've put out nine albums in their career, uh, three of them gold and three of them platinum in Japan and then one platinum record in the U S. Uh, and, and I really wanted to talk about that because the, the world is bigger than just you know our country of the u.s or where we're from but we have listeners from all over which is i think is really cool and to see kind of like how other people view um certain bands i think is really awesome as well so this band you know really blew up in in japan uh their first uh, I want to say it's six albums were either platinum or gold which was their first uh, you know their first run together um Mr. Big wasn't the biggest album, uh, but Lean Into It is is kind of where they took off. That was platinum in both Japan and the U.S. Um, that was kind of like their moment to shine here. Um, but Bump Ahead uh, and Hey Man also scored platinum scores in Japan and then Get Over It, uh, Actual Size, and Mr. Big all were gold records. Um. So are you familiar with Mr. Big? Yeah, I mean, I got I was into Mr. Big. I liked that, you know, Addicted to That Rush, uh, you know, uh, was it uh, Green Tinted 60s Mind uh, is one, one, one of their songs. I mean, they had some cool songs. You know, the first album was pretty cool. Lean Into It was was pretty cool as well. I mean, their, their downfall in the United States was the fact that they came out at the end of the 80s into the 90s. Exactly. You know, so, and, and. Now that I think about it, when you were talking about it and you're talking about the, the, the success that they had in Japan, the funny thing is, and I've talked about this several times, but let me let me start that point with this. A lot of bands that found that their success was starting to wane should have tried to go elsewhere. Bands like Wasp have have had a career in Europe this entire time. Band like Manowar has almost never come home. 
They're an American band from New York City, and they spend their entire life on the the eastern side of Europe. Okay, aren't they um, like from Valhalla or something? Like, yes, they're, in their minds, they're, they're Vikings. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, in their minds, they're from Valhalla. Um, but it's so it's so funny because they've spent their literally after the success of fighting the world. You know, they went on world. They went on world tour. They had a nice, uh, a nice run there on Atlantic Records, and then they never came home after 1987. It was literally spending the rest of their career out in Europe. And they've, they, I believe, they've come to the United States on a couple of tours in the 2000s and 2010s, and that's it. Like maybe a five or ten city tour tops, but but they are huge, huge in the eastern side of Europe. You know, so and then they play all those big festivals, and you know they play all the power metal festivals and all that stuff. So, um, but we're not here to talk about Manowar. Um, my point being was that a lot of these bands in the in the eighties that were popular in the eighties should have tried to go to Japan because Japan they they didn't uh, at first, I guess you could say, didn't get grunge. They didn't care. They didn't care if you had a big show or you didn't have a big show. They they just liked the music. And in a lot of cases, you know, the music was good. But, I mean, a band like Mr. Big was enormous over there. Okay, Dokken. Dokken's huge in Japan. Okay? And I think that's where Dokken was able to survive the 90s by going to Japan and doing things outside of the United States. You know, uh, look, David Hasselhoff, Germany. Germany loves the Hoff. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he survived the, the, the 90s. <laughs> That's how he survived the 90s. Because Knight Rider was done. <laughs> what about Baywatch Nights? Oh, that's right. He had that. Oh, the, the Nights one. That was, that was, that <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> that was bad. All right. Um, so anyway, Mr. Big had a big had, had a big career <laughs> in, in Japan. I get it. And you know, a lot of bands should have tried that. Um, but unfortunately, the, the flip side to that is the thing that I've constantly talked about. These bands that did not succeed, did not succeed because they didn't put out good music. What, whatever they want to say, grunge killed us. No, your shitty ass songs killed you. I'm sorry to say that, but that was the truth. Um, I like Mr. Big. Uh, Paul Gilbert, amazing guitar player. Um, Billy Sheehan, amazing bass player. Eric Martin, amazing vocalist. Pat Torpy, apparently an amazing drummer, and they can't move on without him. And I get that. You know, you have this brotherhood. They've been together. I mean, for the most part, it was the original band. I don't I don't know where Richie Kotzen fits into that whole thing. Th- he basically came in to finish up some stuff with, like, after um, Paul Gilbert left. They put out okay. one album, and it just, the chemistry wasn't there. And, you know, it's not a whole lot different than when Gucci Poison came into poison. You know? <laughs> they just didn't fit the chemistry. He's just a he's just a bad chemist. He's he's an odd man out. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I they had their run in the U.S. and they had a huge run in in Japan. It was good for them. I mean, they. I I don't look at them as as the the same kind of supergroup because I think you know Racer X wasn't this big 
American band, you know, they were a small band, you know, that just happened to fall apart. And so their members were, you know, all over the place. Cause obviously Jeff Martin went into Badlands, you know, and Paul Gilbert goes to Mr. Big. So there you have that. So they went their separate ways and, you know, but then again, we just talked about the fact that Badlands is a super group. So <laughs> I mean, throw my fucking argument out of the way. Like David Lee Roth. I mean, it, and not in the same place in the world, but in Pelletary, you know, Chris mm-hmm. and Pelletary is huge. That's it true. Just, it just depends. So it it's different perspectives. So who do you got next? Okay. So the next band I wanted to talk about real quick here, and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on the next few because we have, we, these as successful as they were, um, We've got one good band that we want to talk about, but um, the one I want to mention right now is Stormtroopers of Death, uh, S.O.D., and um, for those fans out there of Anthrax, you will know who S.O.D. is. If you don't know who S.O.D. is, um, you're probably going to get offended if you listen to their first album anyway, so you might, (laughs) you you know, and even the second album, you probably get offended at that one too, Um, but they, they were basically a joke of a band. It was put together by Scott Ian. Um, and Charlie Bonante from Anthrax, they were on downtime while the, while their album was getting mixed um, for um, spreading the disease back in 1985. And so they called up, I forgot, I don't know if they were doing some drawings or you know, sketching some stuff, and they came up with some crazy, stupid lyrics. But they called up um, Danny Lilker, who had basically been fired uh, the year before. Um, and they called up um, their, their roadie. Well, he was their roadie, Billy Milano, and he asked them to sing, or they asked him to sing, and they came up with this completely out-of-the-box, obnoxious, racist, against-everybody band um, in uh, SOD. It, it was just being controversial just for the sake of it, just to piss everyone off. And yeah, therefore, exactly. it's it's fine, because it, <laughs> exactly. is, it is equally just offensive to everyone. Yes, exactly. I mean, at the time, you know, uh, stuff was happening in the Middle East, so they had their issues. But they also talked about other people, too. You know, um, Indians, uh, American Indians, um, dead people, um, sexual jokes, sexual innuendo, all sorts of weird shit, uh, stuff against women. I mean, it was just as, as obnoxious as they could make it, they made it. Um, and it was just meant to be humor. Um, and of course one person, you know, cat doesn't get the humor and all of a sudden becomes, you know, super offensive to everybody. Um, <clears throat> I think it was great. Uh, the first time I heard it, I was like, it was like some of the, the hardest and fastest stuff I had ever heard in my life. And I'm like, I'm not going to get into this stuff. But then I, as I got more and more into heavy metal, I realized this is pretty cool. Um, so I liked it. Um, they released a second album, um, bigger than the devil. Was it a uh, fifteen, fourteen years 14 later? Fourteen years later, yeah. you know, and that was really just this uh, uh, another time. Of like, hey, let's just get together, just hammer this out, and do it. And when we're talking, when we say hammer it out, and we talk about joke, these songs last a minute. They last thirty seconds. They did, they did some songs. I mean, they did a cover of Diamonds Rust. It lasted all of three seconds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did a tribute to Jimi Hendrix. It lasted all of two seconds. You know, so things like that is that's that's the fun part about it. You know, uh, they did they did a, a song that they put on the album called "What's That What's That Noise," and it literally is them fucking with Billy Milano in the studio and making a bunch of of tape 
moving back and forth noises, almost like like um, almost like uh, scratching on a turntable. Mm-hmm. But they did it with the tape machine, moving the tape back and forth, and and getting this really crazy reaction out of Billy Milano. So you know that's just that's the stuff they did, and it's like got thirty songs or something like that in like twenty minutes. <laughs> so, um, but uh, bigger than the devil. Uh, isn't that the one that has the um, the cover that's very similar to Iron Maiden's Number of the Beasts? Yes. You know, and then they they had Rise of the Infidels, and they actually released a, a single called Seasoning the Abyss, which was a, a take on Seasons in the Abyss from Slayer. So they, they've done all sorts of crazy shit, and I, and they, they're cool for that. Yeah, they're just fun, and I think every album's been reviewed pretty well. Just you know, as a tongue in cheek joke. And they, you know, they just do what they want. It's, it's. I say it's a success story because they they accomplished exactly what they wanted to accomplish with it. Who's <laughs> pissed people off? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if for for those of you who know, Billy Milano went on to do MOD, which had a, a little bit of success in the in the the, the mid to late eighties. Um, Danny Lilker continued on with Nuclear Assault. Uh, and obviously, you know Charlie and, and Scott continued on with Anthrax. So they've all went their separate ways, and they all had some their their own versions of success over the years. Um, so this is pretty cool. And then they 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 never toured until you know fifteen years later or fourteen or whatever it was. They didn't tour. They finally went on a tour. I think they did like three shows back in the eighties. Never did anything else. And they did did a, uh, a small tour and they never left, or I don't even know if it was a, a tour or if they just did a one-off show, but they basically, um, it was called live at Budokan and it was recorded in New York city. <laughs> so gotcha. pretty cool. And as, as many of you probably know, uh, Charlie Benante is going to be taking part of the Pantera reunion. And I think that's a nice segue into this next band that I want to talk about. Um, so we're actually going to talk about two pretty quick. Um, and they both have a Pantera connection. And the first one is going to be down, uh, which is Phil Anselmo's project with Pepper Keenan, Kirk Winstein, Bobby Landgraf at Todd Strange, uh, Rex Brown, Pat Bruders, uh, Jimmy Bauer. Um, so, uh, you're going to know Pepper Keenan, uh, uh, from corrosion of conformity jimmy bauer drums from corrosion of conformity um and then kirk winstein was guitar for crowbar todd strange was a uh, bass from crowbar and then obviously uh, rex brown would take over for uh, bass from todd strange for about 10 years uh he was um also from pantera and then Pat Bruders would move on to, to take bass or the position of bass from him. So, um, you know, p- pretty fun band. Um, if you like, um, you know, that kind of southern metal sound, um, they've released, let's see, one, two, three, four. I would say technically four albums, but the fourth down album is two EPs. So they've released Nola in 1995, Down 2, A Bustle in Your Hedgerow in 2002, Down 3, Over the Under in 2007, and then the Down 4 Part 1 EP in 2012, and the Down 4 
part two EP in 2014. Um, so these guys are all real good friends. They continue to work on various projects together, including, like I mentioned earlier, Phil Anselmo and Rex Brown will be um, touring as Pantera uh, in the next year, which I think is really cool. I know a lot of people are very divisive about it because of you know the nature um, you know of of Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Ball have both passed away, but I think it's it's a nice tribute in a way, and and the fans getting to hear those songs again in a live format i think is really cool um i all think all the naysayers need to stick it fair <laughs> enough <laughs> no i mean seriously because if you if you don't want to go out there and 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 hear it you know what don't buy a ticket fine exactly you know, not everybody has to like everything that's the thing that's missing Right. Let the people enjoy what they want to enjoy. And if you if, if people want to go out there and see the original singer, well, not the original singer, the original bass player. Yeah, if you want to see and, Terry Glaze out there, you're going to be sorely the, disappointed. Right. And the more famous singer, the one that actually, you know, brought them the fame that they that they got, um, do the, 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 the big Pantera hits with two of the most talented musicians on the planet who basically bow to Dimebag on a daily basis, okay, with Zach Wilde and Charlie Bernante, you know, basically replicating, you know, Vinny's drums. Dude, that is hands down. I want, I'll be first in line if I could to get tickets to that. Okay, exactly. so if Same. you don't, if you think you don't want to hear it, you know what, stay home, don't bother listening. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to enjoy myself with my friends, you, Chris, and Matt. We're going to go see it. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a good time. Screw everybody else. <laughs> So the other one with uh, the Pantera connection uh, is Hell Yeah, who started in uh, 2006 and has gone on an indefinite hiatus after 2021. Um, this is a, kind of a mixture between Mudvayne, uh, Nothing Face, and Damage Plan. So Chad Gray on vocals from Mudvayne, Greg, Tib- uh, Greg Tribbett from Mudvayne on guitars, uh, Tom Maxwell on guitars from Nothing Face, uh, Jerry Montano uh, f- on bass from Nothing Face. Uh, he would be replaced by Bobzilla, who was uh, Damage Plan's bassist, and then he would be replaced by Kyle Sanders. Uh, Vinnie Paul was their long-term drummer from the beginning until 2018 when he passed away uh, from Pantera and Damage Plan. And then uh, Roy Mayorga, uh, replaced him, and he was dr- a drummer for uh, Stone Sour and Nausea. Uh, they have put out six albums, one of which went gold, and that was their first album in twenty seven. Sorry, in twenty. Sorry, in two thousand seven. That's hard to say. Um, and then uh, Stampede in twenty ten, Band of Brothers in twenty twelve, Blood for Blood in twenty fourteen, Undeniable with the very annoying exclamation point for an eye in 2016 and uh, welcome home in 2017. Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, uh, Vinnie Paul unfortunately passed away in uh, 2018. Uh, the band carried over his, his pre-production drums uh, for that last album. Um, but they did put out a welcome home in 2019 posthumously after he passed away. Um, they did continue on, 
like I said, until 2021. But Chad Gray's commitments with Mudvayne, um, if you've seen recently, actually, there's a, a pretty funny video. Um, he's He falls during a song, and I'm trying to remember the name of the song, but it has to do with falling. Not uh, falling. Not falling, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a <laughs> not, song he's he, So he falls off the stage during not falling. Um, so... Oh, the irony. The irony is funny. You know, you never want anybody to get hurt falling, but of all the songs, it could have been that one. Um, he fucked himself up pretty good, I too. I know, right? That's that's unfortunate, but uh, at least he's doing all right, and he wasn't, like, so badly injured um, that he couldn't, you know, continue on. A la, um, like Dave Grohl, who unfortunately broke his leg during one of the concerts, and then... Um, had to uh, be brought back up on stage and sat in a chair and and uh, continued playing with a broken leg. So you mean the giant throne that he sat on? Yes, it was amazing. The, that, Much he, that he lent that he lent to Axl Rose when Axl Rose right? broke his foot after their first show. He did. <laughs> um, so hell yeah, uh, it was a band that I'm not super familiar with. They they weren't one that I you know, really gravitated towards. But again, this is Southern metal, you know, right out of the vein of what, uh, you know, Vinnie Paul stood for, the, the, the brothers stood for, the Abbots. Um, and if you're a big fan of Southern metal, then definitely check out Hell Yeah, because it's going to be right up your alley. You you hear those bands, those bands mentioned, Mudvayne, Nothing Face, Damage Plan. You hear all of that in this band. So um, I know that they have a pretty big fan base. They continued on for six albums and did pretty well for themselves. You know, touching on both bands, you know, Down and Hell Yeah, which the, the funny thing is we're, bring, we're bringing them together because they have the Pantera connection where one half of the, of the Pantera was in in Down and the other half was, uh, well, Vin, uh, Dimebag was in, in Hell Yeah, but it's more associated with the with the, the, the Abbott brothers yes. than, than anything. And sort of like Damage, Damage Plan was, was, the, was the Abbott brothers with, um, you know, without Pantera. Um, but... Hell, you know, you can see the two sides of it. But the funny thing about this is that Down was essentially just a side project. I remember when it came out, um, uh, Temptations Wings, super cool song. There's one other song on there that's pretty decent for me. Um, other than that, it's just a, it's a sludgy, underproduced album. And that, I think that's the way it's meant to be, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, and they've made it. They've made us. And I wouldn't, like you wrote in your notes, it's not necessarily a successful career so much as longevity. They've done a lot of stuff together. They've stayed together. And they've had guys come in and out of the band. But it's, it's just meant to be a very loose project that once they start writing and they say, oh, yeah, this sounds a lot like Down. Let's do this. Boom. You know, so that's the way that works. Hell yeah. I never got into Hell Yeah. I thought at first it was more of just kind of like a joke at first, but it was more serious to the guys in the band. I think um, it got better and better as time went along for the band, and they were getting to that point where they were going to be, you know, kind of breaking through that that next level, and then that's when Vinny passed away. You know, so they were right there on the cusp of getting to that next level. I actually got to see them um, the year before Vinny passed away, which is pretty cool. I saw them in a small club here in Houston called the the Warehouse, um, and so that was. 
I didn't get to see the I didn't see the whole show because there was a part there was a problem that happened. Uh, we decided my wife and I decided to leave a little bit early, but outside there was a, a smell of bleach that was permeating the air. And so I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they eventually had to shut the show down because of this this thing. So we got out just in time. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yeah, it was it was really weird. I was there with uh with um Joel who used to work uh, with me, and him and I were big you know big fans, and we wanted to go see Vinnie Paul and Hell Yeah, and so I was there. Hell Yeah, I was about probably four songs into Hell Yeah, five songs, and I'm like, all right, let's go. It, it wasn't really doing it for me. But then it got it kind of got shut down a few minutes later because uh, because of that smell. Mm. Okay. So I mean, both projects really cool. Um, like I said, Hell Yeah was on their way to get to that next level, um, but it ended up, you know, not not going forward because of the death of Vinny. I don't think they're ever going to get back together. I mean, I, I really to me, Vinny was the driving force behind this. Exactly. And so yeah, um, I I think this is one of those bands that are just going to stay defunct and you know enjoy what we have now and that's it all right so you we're going to end this on um the last band i'm going to you go ahead and, and take the lead on this one because i'm not a uh, i'm not i don't know a lot about them i do know the first album so why don't you go ahead and tell tell us about it okay um so this is going to be a perfect circle uh, formed in 1994 through 2004, and then 2010 through present. Uh, this would be um, a side project for um, Maynard James Keenan, who joined Billy Howardell, who was really the, the brainchild of this. Um, basically, he was the guitar tech for Tool, and he showed Maynard some of his songs, and Maynard said, you know, um, I would love to sing for your, your stuff if you ever put a band together, so let me know. So he did that, and uh, they got um, Troy Van Luyen. I don't know if I said that correctly, but uh, he was on rhythm, rhythm guitar. I think, it, I think it's supposed to be Lewin, Van Lewin, but it, it's spelt Lewin, but who knows? Uh, Lewin, let's, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, on rhythm guitar initially, um, replaced by uh, Danny Lohner from Nine Inch Nails. And then eventually replaced by um, James Eha from um, Smashing Pumpkins. So you're seeing some of the uh, various, you know, bands and their their um, notoriety here. Uh, Paz Lenchanton on bass, uh, eventually replaced by Jordy White, who was with uh, um, Marilyn Manson. Uh, his uh, um, his other Alter. name that he's known as is Twiggy Ramirez. Uh, Matt McJunkins eventually replaced him as their current bassist. Uh, he was the bassist for Pussifer before that. Um, Josh Freeze on drums. Uh, Josh Freeze has been in 400 plus bands. I mean, he's he is. You probably see his name across hundreds of records. Um, <laughs> He's in the Vandals before that, and Josh Jeff Friedel, who's their current drummer, um, actually is in. If you look at their their band history, Josh Fries and Jeff Friedel have a lot of the same band history, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, they've put out four albums, one of which went platinum, uh, with Meredith Noms in two thousand. Uh, 13th Step in 2003, Emotive in 2004, then they went on a hiatus, and then uh, 
brought out Eat the Elephant in 2018. Um, so fans of Tool probably can connect more with the first album. Then they kind of took a little bit different different direction as they went on. Um, but that first album was very popular. Um, I w- like I said, they kind of went on hiatus to work on other projects. Uh, that would be Tool eventually reforming. Um, uh, Billy Howardell has done some solo stuff. In fact, he just released a new solo album this year. And uh, Maynard has now um, said, I'd like to put this on on uh, hiatus again because he's fo- focusing on Pussifer. So lots of different projects, lots of people from major bands, um, a little bit outside of our wheelhouse from the norm. But I think sometimes it's nice to bring in these bands that we don't normally talk about on these conversations as well, um, because, again, that first album was very popular in the the metal community when I was, uh, I would say, in high school, I guess, 2000. Um, I remember this album coming out and a lot of my friends that were fans of Metallica and fans of um, Tool and bands like that really got into this album as well and they've had a pretty long career even though they've taken breaks but they've done very well for themselves i think uh i think for me the the meriden noms album is one that i know that's the one i actually have um it is it's a i mean it's it's an alternative tool if you look at it that way and not not alternative in terms of being a different type of tool it is alternative an metal. alternative yeah. version of tool you know because that that song judith i mean it might as well have been a tool song um and that's that's part of the reason why i like it so much but i, I was listening to some of it today and i'm like yeah there's a, a ton of tool um relation you know it's a, a ton of tool uh, observations you know it's just it sounds like that and it's so it's just it's less like the mathematical stuff and the songs that right. go on for you know for three hours it's more of like a song from beginning to end in in three minutes you know that you're more typical like alternative rock alternative metal stuff exactly so i so i thought it was pretty cool i mean i like it and they uh they're one of those bands that just, you know, they, every person in the band has a major project or, or not project so much that they have a major band that they are part Another of. Another commitment, and, yeah. Yeah, a major commitment compared to, you know, this one, which is technically a side project. Exactly. All right. Well, that was a lot of bands tonight that we talked about. And just to go over some real quick, um, some other famous honorable mentions, uh, some other famous supergroups. Fastway, which was uh, an early supergroup, started in 1982. They ran until about 1992. That band started with Fast Eddie Clark, which is ex-Motorhead, and Pete Way of ex-UFO. Um, they put this band together. So they brought in the drummer Jerry Shirley from Humble Pie, and then they brought in an unknown singer, Dave King, which has now gone on to uh, fame with Flogging Molly um, uh, during this time. So they they... They were pretty good. They were around, and they actually, you know, got back together in '98, and then they um, got back together in 2007, and they were actually together doing as a touring act up until Fast Eddie Clark's death in 2018. And they actually have released seven albums. Most of the the albums that were worth a crap were from the '80s. 
Um, Bad English, a lot of people know who Bad English was. John Waite, uh, along with Neil Sean, another 80s Neil Sean project. Okay. Um, they released two albums, one with Platinum. They had a couple of big hit ballads uh, during the late 80s. But, but not just Neil Sean. Uh, Dean Castronovo and oh, right. and Jonathan Cain both from Journey as well. Oh, that's right, Jonathan Cain. So yeah, so so you got Neil Sean from Journey, Jonathan Cain from Journey. Dean Castronovo would eventually become the drummer for Journey, and then John Waite, who had a successful solo career, um, but he was also with the with the 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 Babies for a while, right? It was um yeah, and, and isn't that where he knows um, John Cain from? Because wasn't John Cain in the Babies too? I think so yes, it's a weird, weird, a very strange connection there. So they got together, they put out a few albums, had some success. And then, um, you know, like all things with Neil Sean, they just kind of go away and he goes back to journey. <laughs> so, um, also another big band, damn Yankees, um, from 89 to 96, 98 to 2001, 2004, 2010, they put out two albums, one platinum, one gold. That was Tommy Shaw from sticks, uh, Jack blades from, um, uh, Night Ranger, Ted Nugent, and who was the drummer in that band? Was it still uh, Mark? Was it Marker? Marker? Michael Cartalone. My okay, yeah. What band was he in? Um, Leonard Skinner. Ah, there you go. So there, that's where their that that little southern rock tinge comes in to play between him and Ted Nugent. Um, some other bands: Sons of Apollo, which is a band featuring Mike Portnoy and. Um, Billy Sheehan, uh, Winery Dogs, which is Richie Kotzen and Billy Sheehan and Mike Portnoy. <laughs> uh, Temple of the Dog, I consider a super group. Um, at the time, it was two members of Soundgarden and three future members of Pearl Jam because uh, I think at the time that they started, Pearl Jam had not become an official band yet. Um, it was they were working together, but they weren't really Pearl Jam yet. Um, but you know, uh, Eddie Vedder, Stone Gossard, and Mike McCready, um, and then eventually Matt Cameron, the drummer for Soundgarden, joined Pearl Jam. So it's like kind of all Pearl Jam. And Jeff Ament, anyway. And I'm oh, sorry, and Jeff Ament on bass. That's right. So that tells you. I think at the time. Um, that they did Temple of Dog. Mike McCready was not the guitar player. Uh, he wasn't the lead guitar player yet in Pearl Jam. They, I think because of this project, he became their lead guitar player. Mm, okay. Um, then uh, there was a band called Over the Rainbow that started in 2008 that was basically featured former members of Rainbow doing Rainbow songs from every iteration of the band. Um, they were strictly a touring act. They toured for three years and the, the big thing about it besides the fact that they were former members of Rainbow Richie Blackmore's son was the guitar player so that was the link to Rainbow besides the, the former members <clears throat> and last but not least one that you and I talked about earlier today which is more modern than anything else the Halo Effect which was former members of In Flames so the Halo Effect is Michael Stana uh, who was the original lead singer um, te- technically uh a contractor, I guess, at that point, uh, because he wasn't an official member of the band. Um, but he is known for his uh, band Dark Tranquility. Uh, then you got Nicholas England, who had one stint in the band many years ago and then rejoined them 
I would say, uh, shoot, um, in 2014, 2013, right around there. Um, he also did a side project called Passenger uh, with uh, a couple members of the band as well, too. So they, they all know each other. They're all friends. Uh, he worked with um, Anders Frieden, who was the vocalist for In Flames. Um, and then you have uh, Jesper Stromblad, who was the brainchild, the creator of In Flames. Uh, originally, the drummer uh, played bass, guitar, you name it. Um, you know, he's a very talented musician, uh, has dealt with his uh, struggles with alcohol addiction over the last, you know, 10 years or so uh, since leaving the band, actually before leaving the band, and that was the main catalyst for him leaving. Um, but is finally kind of getting back into music. Uh, he's not f touring full-time, um, but he is writing a lot of, if not all, the music. And um, that's really nice to hear that he's kind of got the support from his band members and, you know, getting kind of back on the right track with his life. And uh, you got Peter Iwers and um, uh, Daniel Svensson, who I want to say both joined with the, the Colony album, for in flames which we did an episode about as well um so it's it's all in flames pedigree so it, it's interesting to call them a uh, super group but but they are you know they even though they've they've played with in flames before you know michael stano uh, is the singer and mostly known for dark tranquility so you got in flames guys um England, um, Nicholas England was in or had the band Engel and Gardinian, which Gardinian had other members of In Flames in as well. You know, they have this this, you know, interweaving web of, of friendship that I think is really interesting. But yeah, technically they are a super group. Yeah, for sure. That's why I had to put them in there and mention them. So cool. So that brings us to our big four for today. And the big four is going to be big four supergroup songs. So we're basically picking our favorite song from one of these supergroups that we talked about tonight. Why don't you go first? I think I went first uh, last week. Okay. Uh, so I'll make this quick. Um, these are all from bands we talked about today. Uh, my first one is Fields of Avalon off of Symphonia. When I first heard that song, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I was so excited for that project. And again, it just fizzled out very quickly and was very uh, upsetting. But at the same time, great song. Uh, great start to that album, too. Uh, my number three is Judith uh, from A Perfect Circle. And m a lot of the reason I picked this was because of nostalgia, because back when it came out, this song kicked so much ass. And it, it, it was a lot different than a lot of the stuff I listened to, but I really liked it. And uh, still to this day, I think it's a really good song. Um, my number two is Like a Stone from Audio Slave. It's my favorite song by that band. Um, it, it just, it's a really awesome song with a lot of meaning behind it. And it just, if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. Um, it was, it was some amazing guitar work, especially the solo from, uh, Tom Morello. Great song. And my number one is Slither from Velvet Revolver. Uh, that was the song that really got me hyped about that band. And, uh, Man, what a great single off of that album. Um, you know, that first album, again, like we talked about before, just super fantastic, great song. 
and uh again these are all you know awesome songs but i think slither was just that one that it still sticks with me i have it on my playlist it'll come up every once in a while i just love it like i heard it the first time you know i'm very disappointed that you not you did not bring up or or uh pick as one of your top four songs to be with you from Mr. Big. I mean, that's just, it's heartbreaking to me. Um, it was going to be all four slots, but then I thought that was unfair and I reset. It's unfair to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, I like your list. And actually we have some crossover, but at the same time, not completely. Okay. Um, all right. So my number four song for me is going to be from SOD and it is Sergeant D and the SOD. It is basically the second song on the album. The album uh, starts with an intro, or excuse me, the album starts with an instrumental, um, which is the march of the SOD and then goes into Sergeant D and the SOD. So it, it's just a great way to introduce the band to the world. Um, like I said, equal opportunity offenders. Um, song number three for me is a different audio slave song. It is Cochise. Um, I just really love that. It, that just song just hammers you in the head. It's so heavy. And, and people are sitting and say, well, how is that a heavy metal song? I mean, a heavy song if it's not a really heavy metal kind of song. But it is. I mean, you listen to it. It's just a pounding song. It's really good. Um, and number two for me is Badland's song High Wire. I love that song. I used to be able to hit the high notes on that song when I was a a very unknown singer. <laughs> <laughs> Still am. <laughs> but now we're glad you're an unknown singer. Zing. No, now it's <clears throat> now now my voice is shot. So, but I love that song. That song was great. I mean, and that's the song that Adrenaline Mob did, and even Adrenaline Mob's version could not hit the notes the same way that Ray Gillen hit it. And number one for me is the same as your number one, Slither from Velvet Revolver. It's just a super cool song. I learned to play it on bass back when it first came out. And one of the most difficult songs I've ever had to learn to play on bass. And um, I don't know it anymore because I don't play bass much (laughs) anymore. So there you have it. All right. I like your list as well. Well, cool. Thank you very much. All right, well, that's our big four supergroup songs, and this brings an end to the show. If you haven't done so already, this is a time to like, subscribe, and download the show on your favorite podcast platform so you can listen to us anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send us a DM as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or you can send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. So remember to tune into the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See ya! See ya!